employing unconventional ways to mitigate phishing, and Uber conceals a breach for a year that targeted millions upon millions of accounts. These stories coming up in the ISMG Security Report. Hello, I'm Eric Chabro. We're going to devote most of today's security report to a presentation made at the ISMG Healthcare Security Summit in New York last week. Jim Ralph is Chief Security Officer of Aetna Global Security. Aetna employs model-driven security that utilizes data analytics. In his presentation, Ralph addressed new approaches Aetna is taking to battle one of the most common threat vectors organizations face today, phishing. If we were to use conventional controls for phishing, what's the conventional control that every authoritative source says for phishing? User education. My problem with that is I was a history major as an undergraduate. As a history major, I understood that civilizations rose and fell and that when you extract trust from a civilization, the civilization crumbles. If you extract trust from an enterprise, that enterprise will crumble also. Here's the point. Is email important to your enterprise? It's really important to my enterprise. The conventional control systematically extracts trust from email. It teaches people not to trust email. That's the byproduct. Now, it may be absolutely essential, but it's not sustainable from my perspective. There's only four ways to do phishing. What's the highest volume attack vector for phishing? Spoofing a domain. That's where you get a email. It looks like it comes from a different domain that you're familiar with. It doesn't. It's spoofing the domain. Turns out that as an enterprise, if you use something called DMARC, which is an industry standard, and if you implement that and you publish a DMARC record to the ISPs authenticating your email servers, the ISPs will only deliver email to the end user that comes from your servers versus any other email that purports to be from your domain. So they drop all of that, and the consumer only sees the email that's legitimate email. And it's not the easiest thing to implement. The technology is really simple. You just got to herd cats in terms of the third parties that send email on your behalf. But once you do that, you get an interesting effect. You actually add trust in the email. Now, I work for Aetna, and here's what happened. It created an unnatural behavior. The unnatural behavior is the sales and marketing guys actually like the CISO. Have you ever seen this before? This does not happen very often. It's unnatural isn't it? Yeah, it turns out that our email campaigns, which we send 2 billion emails a year, have improvement in click-through rate of 10% every year. If I were an email campaigner and I got 2% improvement, I'd be slapping high fives. Now I get a 10% improvement every year simply by using a technology that makes the risk lower for the consumer. It's like manna from heaven. In our case, Most of our email drives healthy behavior. Healthy behavior means higher profit to the enterprise. I'm actually driving higher profit to the enterprise while I'm protecting consumers against phishing. In this particular case, the number one competitor that was sending email on our behalf was not another health payer. It was actually a Russian criminal syndicate using our members for pharmacy spam. So that's the other byproduct is now our members don't get vital information like you can get a bundle pack of Cialis and Viagra for $42.95 on a weekend special. This important information is not getting to our members today. I'm willing to live with that byproduct. I'm sure you can recognize that too. The reality here is it's an unconventional control that's adding trust back into email, not extracting trust out. 
And guess what? Any of you can do it too. We'll hear more from Ralph in a moment about novel ways to mitigate phishing. It's another example of an unconventional control that's driving trust back into email because all of us in the enterprise don't see the emails coming from these malicious domains. This is the ISMG Security Report. ISMG's 2018 global events will take place in over 100 cities across four continents. Don't miss the opportunity to meet with over 5,000 senior information security professionals and leading technology vendors from around the world to discuss the most pressing cybersecurity issues we face today. Visit events.ismg.io today. Welcome back. Aetna Global Security CSO Jim Rao continues his presentation at the ISMG Healthcare Security Summit about employing new ways to defend against four different types of phishing attacks. I've covered spoofing and I'm going to cover lookalike domain right now. A lookalike domain is when you set up a domain with one letter off from the target domain. Most people don't notice that. And what criminals do is they set up domains on a pretty regular basis and they're newly registered domains and they send email right away. So what you can do is something we call sinkholing. It's basically you write a script to add to your email gateway that takes a feed from a security intelligence provider that identifies all newly registered domains. Once the newly registered domain is identified, it tags the email that comes from that newly registered domain and you drop the email. You don't deliver the email for 48 hours. And the reason you use 48 hours is that spammers and fishers always move on from one domain to another after 48 hours because the spam filters all catch up to them. You drop the email for 48 hours, you don't get any legitimate business email coming from a domain in the first 48 hours because they all test it for weeks before they send legitimate email. So it's the illegitimate email that's being sent. So if you drop it, you're reducing your exposure to spam and phishing. And it's a very simple control, just means writing a script. You don't have to buy a product or anything. You can also use brand protection services to do takedown of the the sites as well. The last technique that I'll cover is where you can take attributes of the sending domain apply them in a machine learning algorithm in real time to your inbound email and drop email coming from a domain with a bad reputation. And there's some products available in the market that does it. We've had this in production for about two years now. Uh, We helped develop this technology and it's highly effective. And it's an example of kind of machine learning driving the frontline security controls. You're filtering all your email. The fourth technique that's used today is the fastest growing of the techniques that I've introduced you to. The other ones are large in volume. This one is small in volume, but it's growing the fastest. And it's a phishing email that comes from a compromised email account. If you had your email account compromised, sent a phishing email from your account to all your friends, patterning that email after email that they've seen by owning the account, that would be an example of this fourth type of attack. In our organization, we used to get about one of these a day. At the beginning of the year, we now get 2.5 a day. Today, my guess is it's going to be up to 3.5 next year. More and more of phishing attacks are going to use this vector. Why? Because the credentials can be had. 
All of the fishing controls that we have in place are designed to protect the other types, not this type. But what I will tell you is I'm working right now on developing a machine learning algorithm to identify this type of email, and I'll have it in place by next year. And so help is on the way, but right now we're relying on that. But I mentioned taking domain attributes. Turns out there's 29,000 servers that send email to Aetna on a daily basis. When I apply some heuristics to them, I can identify that some of them are our own servers, some of them are good servers, some of them are benign, and some of them are malicious. And I can do this because I look at the attributes of the domain sending the email and figure out the patterns of what's a bad attribute for a domain that sends a lot of phishing and fraudulent email. And then I apply that in a machine learning algorithm on the inbound side and then drop it. Don't deliver that email daily. It's another example of an unconventional control that's driving trust back into email because all of us in the enterprise don't see the emails coming from these malicious domains. All of these are examples of unconventional controls, but they're also model-driven unconventional controls. That's Aetna Global Security CSO Jim Ralph. We'll have more presentations from the ISMG Healthcare Security Summit in coming editions of the ISMG Security Report. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. Finally, the ride-sharing service Uber's reputation could be soiled over how it handled a cyber attack. ISMG Security and Technology Editor Jeremy Kirk explains. As if it didn't have enough trouble brewing on other fronts... Uber paid two hackers $100,000 to keep quiet about a 2016 breach. It exposed 57 million accounts belonging to customers and drivers. Bloomberg reports that the data included names, email addresses, and phone numbers for registered users. It also included personal information for 7 million drivers and 600,000 driver's license numbers. Uber's belated disclosure roughly a year later comes as U.S. legislators are investigating personal data security since credit bureau Equifax announced a massive breach in early September. Uber's breach is likely to prompt further concerns over how quickly companies notify their customers of breaches. It also raises questions as to whether organizations are adequately auditing their systems for holes and mistakes that hackers can exploit. The $100,000 payment is also raising eyebrows. The New York Times reports that Uber required the two hackers to sign a non-disclosure agreement to conceal the damage. The publication reported that Uber positioned the payment as a bug bounty rather than a ransom. If true, the revelation strikes some security experts as worrisome. So when is a ransom not a ransom? Data breach expert Troy Hunt tells me the answer is when you retrospectively make it a bug bounty. According to Bloomberg, the two attackers obtained login credentials from a private GitHub site used by Uber's engineers. Those login credentials were then used to pull data from an Amazon Web Services account, which contained an archive of writer and driver information. After obtaining the data, the attackers emailed Uber. Uber says it identified the two individuals responsible for the breach and that it obtained assurances that the data had been destroyed. That is raising concern. Hunt says that most bug bounty programs have rules that would disqualify claimants who downloaded such a large amount of data from a system. Uber launched a bug bounty program in March 2016 with HackerOne, which is one of several companies that sets up structured rewards programs for other companies. 
The programs have largely smoothed out often escalating conflicts between companies and independent researchers who find security flaws. Many questions remain, such as why Uber didn't notify regulators at the time of the breach. But if it turns out Uber has repackaged a breach as a more benign security incident, regulators are sure to challenge the company. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Jeremy Kirk. That's the ISMG Security Report. Our theme is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Eric Chavro. Catch you next time. Thank you.